You're listening to the Inspire Excellence Podcast, recorded at the BVA headquarters with your hosts, Kevin Miller and Tommy Alquist. Each episode is focused on shedding new light on different perspectives to create dialogue that inspires excellence. Welcome back to the Inspire Excellence Podcast. Tommy Alquist, Kevin Miller here, and we've got a, a dynamic duel, Tommy. I don't know how to describe these two individuals, but... Um, I guess that's what will be happening very soon um, when we're taking a look at the, the topic we're looking at right now. How would you define uh, these two individuals? Well, first of all, I just want to tell them thanks. This is probably the busiest time of the year for you two to be taking time out to be here. But I think there are a lot of our listeners who don't probably understand exactly what goes on down at the state capitol this time of year. And I'm just thankful uh, to both of you for being here today and can't wait to hear about what's on your minds as we go into a really important legislative session. So I think we're going to have you sure. start by introducing yourselves a little bit. We have Matt and Mike here and uh, two of our leaders of our state. And I think certainly, um, you know, in the last couple of years, I've dug into who gets things done. Uh, you two are at the top of the top of that list. So I think the movers and shakers of state politics are in here today for our podcast. Oh, that was a good one. You don't think should, that's that's true, you should right? Do this for a living. That was really good. I think I got a big head on that. That was really <laughs> hey, good. The movers, it's yes. Not be able to get out hey, hey let's be honest. Let's be honest. There are a few people that actually get things done, mm -hmm. and we've got two of them here today. So we're very grateful from both sides of the aisle today, too. I think that was important to us, um, and hopefully you guys will uh, get along okay over there. And if not, Kevin will. Uh, that's right. Officiate. So <laughs> uh, why don't we start with you, Mike? What do you want to know about me? I uh, farm for a living in Star. I like to say I farm between the houses. My place is actually a little bit west of Star, east of Star, Ward Eagle. Uh, we also have some storage units. Um, married a beautiful wife, five children, seven grandchildren with our combined family. Love Idaho. Lived here my whole life, born here, and uh, love being involved. It's always been uh, politics is, was never what I aspired to do, but once I got into it, when I do things, I want to do things right. I want to be successful. I want to get things done. And it's been a, it's been a blessing. I've enjoyed being in the legislature. I'm the majority leader now in the house. I have been for probably some would say too long going on my 13th year, been very blessed to be in leadership that long. Um, you know, they say in politics, your friends come and go and your enemies amass. And I have some on each side of that equation, but I've been very blessed to be very successful and, and have enjoyed it. It's been a, been a good time. You know, before before we get to Matt, I have to ask you, you know, we had this big gubernatorial race, then we had this big congressional race. Why stay a, a representative? Did you, I'm sure people approached you about running for higher office. Actually looked at that, traveled the state, thought about doing some things differently. But, uh, you know, when I when it <clears throat> comes time that I decide if I decide to do that, I don't know that I ever will take the next step. I'll do it. But right now I really like being where I'm being in the legislature gives me an opportunity to be successful, to get things done. But at the same time, I really like farming, like being with my family. And I think sometimes once you take that next step, you know, then it's going to take even more time than it does now. These three months of the year, is, it's, it's a 14-hour day job. And as long as I'm still playing farmer boy, I'll, I'll stay where I'm at. But if the day comes that I'll move, you know, things change. Things change when you take the next step. Matt, what about you? Just thinking about farmer boy here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, my name is Representative Matt Erpelding. I represent District 19, which is the core downtown district around Boise and the historic neighborhoods out to the Boise County line. I'm currently the House Minority Leader. And when the legislature is not in session, I own a climbing guide service. I teach at Boise State. And then I have a, another consulting business where I do some leadership development work. 
Um, I've been in the legislature now for this is my seventh year, and I'm like Mike. I never aspired to be in politics. It was a actually a um, a, a moment of brilliance that I had on the Cahilton Glacier coming off of Denali in 2012 that made me decide to do it. Oh, 2011. Sorry. Any regrets? None yet. Um, uh, I mean, think about it. There's been a lot of doors that when I got elected, I was single because I was spending so much time in the back country working. And since I've been elected, I've gotten, I met a wonderful lady who I've had the opportunity to get married and have a child with. We've got a 15 month old daughter together. And, um, so I don't have any regrets getting into politics and, um, I'm, like Mike, I would say that I'm blessed to have had the opportunity and to have been able to do the things that I've done and to be a part of it. And I think that I bring value to the state of Idaho. And as long as I'm bringing value, I'll continue to do it. It's great. Let's get right into it. A um, lot of issues this year. And before I start, a couple of things I would, I thought about, uh, it's pretty unique to have both of you here today. And I think coming from an outsider's perspective into what I just did, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about the legislature amongst the general population and just people in general. I think that we blame the legislature for a lot of things. <laughs> I, I, I was one of those guys, right? It's just always easy to say that. And what I found actually was that uh, as you go around the state, there are a lot of really, really good people who absolutely love their state and love their area, their, their districts that they, that they represent. And, and and quite honestly, there are very few bad legislators. I think um, we've got a problem with the great state of Ada that you hear everywhere you go. And I'd love to have you guys address that today because you do. Yeah, we're at, it's a tell of two states, right? I mean, you got you've got the Treasure Valley. Uh, you've got the other populated areas that are also pretty well represented with North Idaho and, and even the Magic Valley and, and then Eastern Idaho. But then you got rural Idaho and um how we balance that with the issues we're facing to me is super tricky because uh, a lot of times policies come out that are that are Treasure Valley based that are not good for for rural. And, and, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about that as we face these issues that we talk about today. But but what do each of you see with that background uh, as the issues this this session uh, that face our state and and how you see those playing out for both rural and populated Idaho? You want to start? Let me go. You go for it. Well, I, I think the biggest one will be the Medicaid <laughs> expansion and the budgets. Those are probably the two. And the budgets are always number one. But this year with the uh, revenue not coming in yet, not knowing what's going to happen due to the federal changes and some of the state changes, you know, we're kind of on hold on that side. So it'll make it so that the budgets are probably uh, probably more in line with what they should be. We'll see, though. The Medicaid expansion, the issue is how to fund it and how it's going to be implemented. And there's a lot of talk of putting in some sideboards. And I, and I don't know how that one's going to play out. There's a lot of talk, but you've not seen any bills presented yet or any motion. When you look at the state as a whole, you're right. We, you know, you hear about the great state of Ada and it's like there's two Idahoans, two Idahos when you leave this valley. And it's always been concerning me for a long time. You never had anybody in leadership in the house from the great state of Ada, as you called it. So I've been blessed to be there. But but you have to remember that they have needs and concerns, too, and sometimes they don't mesh. But the last few years, you're seeing a change and you'll see another change with reapportionment in a few years as more of those rural votes go away because of the population growth, growth in this area. My district has more population than any other district in the state. It's growing faster than any other place in the state. It's Western Ada. And I remember as a, you know, as a kid, farm, it's all farmed cattle and, 
and now it's a lot of houses. And I, like I said earlier, I like to farm between the houses, but it's changing. It's a changing dynamic. But I think you, if you watch the legislature, we're really careful not to punish one group or try to override one group for the other one. And you see sometimes bills that come up, but generally we moderate that. And you see that the urban guys tend to help the rural guys a lot. You see that with spending on roads. You see that with health and wealth. You see it with everything we do because we try to incentivize the growth there, but we also try to take it. We have to because the, the, the base is here. You have to help out. And it's good for all of us because we all enjoy the rural Idaho too. So, but, but it will change more and more, especially in the next couple of years with reapportionment. Reapportionment is going to, it doesn't necessarily eliminate rural votes, but it's going to further dilute our rural community's influence on the legislature. Just as it happened in Seattle, it happened in Oregon, it happened in Utah, it happened in Colorado. As you see urban areas really start to pop up and your population begins to condense there, you start to see rural districts that become more sparsely populated and larger. It's harder for those representatives to represent their districts. Um, I agree with Mike that the biggest issue, two biggest <clears throat> issues, the budgets, like that's kind of, it's our constitutional requirement to set the budget. So it's like, if we give ourselves a round of applause for setting the budgets, then we're selling ourselves really pretty short because that's an expectation of the job. But coming up with budgets that work for both rural Idaho and, and urban Idaho is the real challenge. Um, Medicaid is going to be huge. When people think about Medicaid, they think about the urban communities and how that's going to benefit low-income people within urban communities. But we know that what Medicaid is going to do is it's going to really help prop up some really struggling hospitals that are in rural Idaho. And so for us, Medicaid isn't limited to the great state of Aden. In fact, if you look at the populations that will benefit from it, it's probably rural Idaho even more so than what we see happening in the Treasure Valley. The other thing that's going to be a big issue this year is the new attempted new um, student enrollment funding formula, which is how we're moving in terms of education. And the language we like to use is that the money will follow the student instead of an average daily attendance where they take the average size of a classroom and then they come up with an enrollment uh, number or a funding number. That is the skin and bones of the model for the school enrollment formula is there. It's in a place where it actually has the potential to do real great things for the state of Idaho. But the funding, the actual amount of money that you dump into the formula is not there. And so what you end up having is if we move to that formula, you have mid to large school districts that get hurt. And then you have really small school districts that get hurt. And in the middle, you end up with school districts that are in the area of uh, 1,500 to 3,000 students that do really well, and then some other schools that do really well. So the winners and losers piece that, you know, Mike uses it when it's to his advantage. I use it when it's my advantage. But in this case, there's winners and losers in districts. And some districts are like right next to each other. West Ada could gain $6 million while Boise School District loses $6 million. So you're basically just transferring it. And they're saying that they'll hold everyone harmless for three years, but there's not been a vision for what you do after that third year, particularly if we have an economic slowdown, particularly if we have any type of an economic contraction that occurs where our um, economy isn't generating the revenue that it is right now. So I think that that is going to be a really a big fight, especially given that the governor's vision is to do what the experts wanted us to do when we put the career ladder in place. And that is start teachers wages at $40,000, $40, not thirty-seven five. 
And so we already have to have a conversation about what are we going to do about teachers' wages? And then if you dump teachers' wages into this enrollment formula, I think you probably create more problems. Do you want me to respond to that? Is that what you're looking at? Let's go tit for tat. It's time. <clears throat> Idaho has a big problem in, the, in this, the way we do schools. We always have. And currently, if you look throughout the state of Idaho, the <clears throat> districts are smart enough that they game it. They game it because they know how to, how to game it. And somehow you've got to take the games out of it. And you've got districts that actually could, should consolidate. No offense to my friends. We, we agree and on this we, actually dramatically is that there does need to be a conversation around consolidation. Yeah, when you've got districts like Midville and Council that are seven miles apart and administrative costs and everything doubled up, we incentivize in Idaho the creation of smaller districts. You saw that with Riggins pulling out. We incentivize smaller districts because they get more money. And then you take a district like Meridian who gets penalized for being a big district. West Ada, I guess now. I keep calling it Meridian because that's what it was. But West Ada, somehow you've got to take that disincentive away. Somehow you've got to treat everybody the same. And it goes back to your question earlier about the great state of Ada and the rural Idaho because we have taken care of them in education as a prime example. But sometimes you can go too far. And I think in education you have. Somehow you've got to get accountability. You got to see where the money's going. You got to have the money follow the student, which it does not do a very good job of that now. And somehow you've got to force consolidation. You've got to have the money follow the student. And you've got to do some of these hard changes that people are not going to like. You watch, there will be a lot of argument over that, that, that funding formula, and there'll be changes toward the end. But eventually, the, this, the legislators, legislature is going to have to do the right thing. And it may not be popular with everybody when we do that. On the, on the topic of consolidation, you don't have to force it. Um, you can incentivize it. Vermont did it in the mid 2000s and they went from 110 school districts to 35 school districts and it was all local control and it was by choice of the local communities because they got something for it. Thank you, and Matt. And they saved a lot Thank of you. money. I mean, I, I mean, I, so I probably pretty uniquely have been around and I think it's like 90 something school superintendents. I 118. No, oh, you interviewed that I went to and so sat with all of them. Most I didn't, of them. I didn't hit all of them, almost all of them, but sat and listened to them and talked about what they're doing for, for this is the topic out there. There will be winners and losers, but it doesn't stop you from having to do the right thing. And I've always said, well, why? I mean, my goodness, in, in the business world, you put together a pro forma with a set of of rules that drive behaviors, Right. And it's like in politics in the other world, that doesn't happen because to your point, Matt, if you just had the right set of formulas to say, hey, this is how we drive improvement and excellence in education, the rest of it will fall out. And of course, there will be people unhappy, but at least you're going to go in the right direction. And, and consolidation could easily be done if you just put in those funding formulas, incentives to consolidate or collaborate. And there's great examples. A couple of them that I love talking about is Grace and Soda Springs, mm -hmm. how they collaborate and use their money. But the next best thing would be if they consolidated and actually brought, came together. But that could all be done financially. Um, I, I wonder, here's, here's what I wonder. I'd love, and it's on topic with education, but it's really on topic with everything else. When I dug into it and saw from a businessman's perspective, the way politics is run in the state, my biggest question for you, whether it's education or healthcare or anything, how on earth do you actually do what's good for people and what makes sense and not let special interests drive what happens? Because in education, that happens. In healthcare, that happens. And there's so much influential money in a relatively small state that drive decisions and data that, that that's a problem. Two things. Um, I think that uh, 
our campaign finance system limits anything that we can receive, uh, limits uh, what we can receive from special interest to $1,000. And very few of us actually get $1,000 from special interest. So that's one way. The other um, thing that I would point out is I don't think special interests drive it as much as political survival. And so if you convince legislators that if they do something that will endanger their future in the legislature, they won't do it. Um, and so if you convince them that, oh, that's too big of a step, that's too great of a step. If you do that, you're going to end up with a primary. They won't do it. And, and that isn't a issue of special interest driving. That's an issue of do we have people that are willing to lead at you know, at their own potential loss, willing to take a loss in order to lead. And I don't always see that. One of my biggest concerns, and you saw it this last year with the Medicaid expansion, is that, uh, you know, I listen to my friends on both sides of the aisle talk, and they always talk about our democracy. You don't live in a democracy, you live in a republic. And one of the hardest things for some to learn, not all legislators are some, and both sides are guilty of this, your job isn't to do what's popular. Your job's not to do what whoever tells you to do, lobby a special interest group. Your job is to get the facts and do what's right. And uh, that's been the hardest thing to overcome because Matt is right in the sense that there are a lot of them now that are more worried about losing the golf game than doing what's right for the state of Idaho. And once you get to a point where you're not willing to take a stand and do what you think is right, then it's probably time for you to move on. So you saw that this last election now, because Idaho is a cheap state, like you said, Tommy, to buy. You can buy the state. You saw that with Medicaid expansion. You've seen that with everything. It doesn't mean that it's right, but you can buy it. My concern is, as you see this population growth in Idaho changes that we change to other surrounding states. Go look at them. Oregon's a prime example. California, let's look at Oregon. You know, Eastern Oregon guys would rather be in Idaho than where they're at now, and they're controlled by guys living in Salem. They'd be a vote anchor, though. That's the problem. And they'd be, you know, they'd be voting for guys like me, but they, but they would be better off in Idaho, trust me. But, but the point being is that they're trapped. And if we get to a point in Idaho where we're not doing what's right, we're doing what's popular, we're doing what the special interest groups say and everything else, like you're talking about, Tom, then it's a concern. And you're right, they do have influence. But I think that... If, if legislators are smart, people elect the right people, they'll do the right thing. But it's hard for them. We do need to clarify that we live in a representative democracy, which um, is we, a little we, You sound like a, a little professor different. trying to say a representative democracy. <laughs> it's, it's a republic. It's still power is invested in the people, and you know that from the U.S. Yeah, Constitution. Yeah, you're a republic. Pledge allegiance to the flag of what? <laughs> what? It doesn't say democracy. I got a follow-up question. but Go, go ahead. I'm good. So, so one of the things that... Um, that worries me, and I got more worried the more people I met, <laughs> is I've met with a lot of the legislators that you work with, the good, good people, great people, but some of the most concerning conversations I had around the state of Idaho was when I was sitting with the legislator, listening to them what they wanted to come in and do for the next bill, and I'm thinking to myself, you don't have the right data. You don't have the right, I mean, in the business world, it's data driven. I mean, we lock ourselves in rooms and look at spreadsheets and pro formas and it's, it's very driven. Think about just healthcare. Think about the Medicaid expansion. Think about the twisting and turning of the data around that. But there is 
truth. There is data that's real. There is, I mean, you could, you could have done a better job. We could have done a better job of understanding what this is going to cost our state because we know what poverty levels are in Idaho. We know how we spend money. We know exactly what we spend per resident that's on Medicaid and Medicare. That data to me never came out during the debate. We're very poor. We, we make decisions on emotions in politics. And I think in Idaho where we, you know, Boise State's starting to have a policy institute that's bipartisan that I think is doing a good job. We, my argument would be, this is for both sides, we need better data to get to our legislators who are making decisions that affect all of Idaho. And I just don't see that happening. And instead, my favorite line after spending two years in politics was, hey, whatever big business thinks in this state usually happens. And sometimes their interest aligns with you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't. And if it aligns with you, good. And if it doesn't, not. But that really is what happens in Idaho. If you look at healthcare, if you look at education, it just is a lot of big influence. And I just worry that we don't make decisions based on data. Thoughts? You bring up you bring up a good point. I mean, look at all the money the hospitals and others dump oh. into Medicaid expansion. Who benefits from it? And now that we're looking at putting sideboards on, who's the first one down there screaming because it could affect them? Look at the data. Idaho has what the fourth highest Medicaid rates in the nation. That's insane. It's insane. insane. And, 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 and when you think start about talking about that. And all this, the money guys come running down and have a fit. So I'm agreeing with you to that. Uh, let me just one more follow up on that. This is this was my thing. I, there's 17 different community health centers around Idaho. Visited almost every one of them. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. They do a good job. They do a great job. They take those dollars, mental health, primary care, dental health in all these communities. For heaven's sakes, we should at least drive Medicaid dollars, those precious dollars to help these clinics through those. Instead, what's going to happen is this money is going to be driven through our hospital systems that are the most expensive way to spend money. So people ask me what I thought about Medicaid expansion. I thought, you can dump as much money as you want into this hole it, it, and you can you can go home and sleep at night and say, hey, I feel good about this because this is going to help people without insurance. But you've just dumped money down a hole that will not change anything ultimately other than our taxes and the way we waste our money. OK, so, Tommy, I'm it, agreeing it, with at you. At the same time, if you, you put in a legitimate managed care plan, that's you could you, control that. You could be driving primary care and managed care to the community health um, programs around but, the state. But and you know that's what is eventually going to happen. Look at what we're well, talking I, about. I, we're trying to put sideboards and direct where this program's going to go and what happens. Everybody has a fit. I mean, I'm getting all the letters. Well, I mean, you if, don't you, change if, it, if, if you didn't bring up sideboards that were and just in expensive. Meantime, and in the meantime, you've got a couple of hospitals here in Ada County. Let's figure it out. They're nonprofits. Figure about that. They get to make about, what, 15% profit a year. That means each one of them is pulling about $750 million a year out of this local economy. Where's it going? They're buying up every dock in a box in the corner, taking them on the property tax. <clears throat> and raising taxes. So I'm agreeing with you, you, we can do that stuff, but you've got to have the will to do it. And when both sides, everybody's trying to protect their own turf and they want to talk about the facts, I'll talk facts with you. It's a wrong deal and he's fixed. So when, trying to when, fix it's going to be we, the hard part. When we talk about sideboards at the legislature, we don't refer to sideboards as um, coming up with solutions for primary care alternatives, for managed care alternatives. We talk about drug testing and work requirements, neither of which will actually save any money. But there are other well, methods, the things as, you're talking about. It was about sold that will, for the working poor in Idaho. I mean, that was the biggest selling port, the working poor in Idaho and bringing money back to Idaho. If it's about fixing the working poor, then let's make sure they're working and they are the poor. The women are already covered and the children are already covered now. I, who, is, who is making 120% of the poverty level and not working? Are there like a bunch of trust funders making 120% of the poverty level just tell me, living on the interest of whatever they have? I don't know. Could you say no, they're no, no, Matt, Matt, but, but, but uh, there, were, there were some, there's some data actually on this because we sure. know what poverty level is in Idaho. Sure. 
the problem is we're super, super poor. Yes. I mean, we're, we're a, you get outside of this little valley and, and we have a lot of poverty. The problem I always had is why not have fundamental solutions to deliver primary care at what it costs in Idaho, then put money into it instead of dumping money into a system that is completely broken. The problem with healthcare, when we, when we stopped becoming a primary care centric deliverer of healthcare in our nation, that's when it all changed. There is an appetite for dollars that will never be satiated, no matter how much you raise taxes, no matter how much you throw at it. So where, and the, state down, con- right. and the state controls well, a lot and, of this, And you guys. we are in agreement on that, but you remember the dual waiver program, which was what was going to be one of the ways to look at to do that, never even came up for a vote in the House because the majority decided that they didn't have enough votes to actually bring it to the floor and they were too afraid to take the risk to take the vote on the floor. Yeah, but you got the same thing now, Matt, because I, I think heard today, if, there. The day, if the day, was if the vote was today on the House side, not, not the Senate side, but the House side, if you had a vote today on Medicaid expansion, I think it dies. I could be wrong. The, and there's a lot of people getting work, but I mean, today it dies. And the bill that's been passed by the citizens still doesn't have a funding source. You know, this thing is still in play. That's before, that before it, absolutely, that's why we're it absolutely about is that. in play. And there's a lot of things you can do to improve healthcare through this process. So, so, so let me ask you guys this before we get off healthcare, because I've been dying to ask this one too. Oh, look out! Because He's I, smiling. No, I've been dying to ask this. I know this. Because I, <laughs> I know no, the answer. Yeah. The question no, listen, about to ask I have. I don't know the answer, and I have not heard anyone say this answer. It scares the hell out of me that we're going to do something in our state. Do we know truly what it's going to cost us? to put the number of people that we're going to put on Medicaid on Medicaid in the state. Do we know what that number is? Heck no, we don't. And look at Milliman. They've never got it right in any other state. And we use their numbers. And the stuff they talked about in the elections were crap because they were talking about from 100 we know to 0%. That, we know and it's 100 a fact to 138, be a Matt. There's more from 138 that that's getting subsidized private health care no, now. I, I should, I should clarify. I'm not giving you a number. It. We know, though, that there's going to be a woodwork population that comes out that is above and beyond what's estimated. They're going to change their income and you're gonna, and you're going to roll people off of the current healthcare exchange onto Medicaid. So there's going to be that. We do know that the number is going to be large. And then the other question that you're asking is what happens if we drop into a recession and then people lose health care? That, that's How my part, but, but, I, but I want to ask you two of the smartest guys. I'm not just uh, two smart the smartest guys eye. down there. Not the that. smartest guys down there. What's the number? What's the number a year, two years from now that we're going to have to sink into Medicaid to expand this thing? And let, and let me ask you this. Probably be within, 60, I think be it's within probably $20 million. million. It'd be more than that. And see, there's another thing to think about. Look what happened this year. <laughs> We're the looking at 43 right now. We're probably, it's going to be more than that. That's probably be You're saying 43? This. No, that's that's the base. That's the yeah. full year. So somewhere north of that, probably. There's not one state that's come close to what okay, they I'm not guessing because su- that's Super Bowl higher you think. Super Bowl's coming up. You got an over-under. Over-under $100 million a year. Yeah, probably over. over. Matt, under. all the way. Under? Under in, okay. a, in good We're economic have you guys times. Back on. Under yeah. in good economic times. It, it could be. The minute that we get be into bad economic times Matt because Field? of the way that Idaho's yeah. cyclical system works. I mean, when we go into recession, we experience it worse yeah, than other states. 18 months behind but we also states, recover so. from. But we also recover from things better. But in bad economic times, it's, over, if, it's if north of If you want it to be under, Matt, then you're going to help some of us who are looking at ways to make this better than what's sitting there. It ain't with work requirements. You got to take over because we're way off. Oh, no, this is good stuff. What I, the I just heck? like Let's to, to listen here. Um, it's going to do a warm and, and fuzzy, but um, what about the repeal of the grocery tax? Is that going to happen? <laughs> Not this year. Mike? Well, everybody's looking at me. Who's the first one that brought that bill? 
Oh yeah, Moyle in 2015. And I'll remember the hearing. There was only two people that stood up and testified in Florida. One of them was Tea Party Bob, which I thought was interesting. And the other one I think was Wayne Hoffman. <laughs> All your friends came down and said, it's a bad idea. They think it's a good idea now. By the way, if it's done wrong, it's a bad idea. And hey, listen, Tea, Tea Party Bob gave me shots for two years. So I finally met with that guy. He's all for government funding as long as it supports him. But I bring, but I bring that up. Boy, that's on. your boy, but it's true. Yeah. You sit with these guys. But, but bring, I've been, I've been yelled at by Tea Party Bob. But I bring it up for a reason, you know. It's like it's the cost of Hey, how does it, I hope he's listening. How does it feel after t- he, that guy takes pot shots at me every day? <laughs> I sat that? and met with him for two hours and I thought, you know what? You love the government only when it supports you, not when it doesn't. But, but let's talk about let's talk about that. If you're if 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 you remember the original bill, what did it do? It cut income tax rates down to six point four percent. Why did we do that? You have the fourth highest income tax rates west of the Mississippi. Even after last year's tax cut, you're still the fourth highest. Why is that important? Because the businesses that are going to raise your income, your 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 standard of living. They're going to raise the incomes here. Aren't going to come here when you're paying that kind of income tax rates. We got all these incentives. Wonderful. We're a state where businesses start and then they leave. Why do they? Leave? because the tax rate shoves them out of here. Now, there's, so a, now there's let's opposing talk about, views let's on talk, that. I mean, the, yeah, the, yeah, no, whatever. So let's take Mike the will next say step. that we have the let's, highest income tax rate, the and then step. he will conveniently let's, leave off that we're 49th in the, in the nation for overall tax burden. No, we're higher um, than that. He'll, after your, the your, last, your problem after the, is you after want to pick the last and choose bill which one. Yeah, the income tax, your property taxes you, are way out of control. If you add it all up, you can use the tax foundation, you can use the Idaho Tax Commission, any of them puts us above 46. Anyways, let me continue my thoughts. So lowest every, tax rate every, in the nation. Every proposal you see takes the income tax credit away. That's $100 for every man, woman, and child that leaves. That's, that doesn't matter if the child's a day old. It's a $100 bill. Take that and add it to a family of five and multiply it by five. And let me tell you how much you're getting right now. Correct. So 500 bucks a month. Everybody assumes it's all a year, their, all their, all their 500 groceries. Bucks a year. It's not all their groceries. And they're going to be mad when this happens. But the governor said he's going to do it. We're going to do it. I just hope that when we do it, we do at least an income tax component because they're going to get hosed on the other side. And there's one other thing I want to add. If you're living in Lewiston, Idaho, are you getting your taxes free now, your groceries without paying taxes on them now? They are if you choose to go across the river. You can stay at the wall, the Winco. And why is the Costco and the Walmart on the other side of the river? Because local government agencies made the decision and drove them out of Idaho. But they're not paying for it now. They're going to lose their $100 bill. Having said all of that, I support it. I was the first one that brought the bill. But if we're going to do it, we better do it right. So Matt is wrong. It will happen. It Not will, this year. It won't happen this year, but it will happen. You can't do it yeah. this year. Do you see the funding? What where the money? There's Remember, no money the revenues are down at the state to a point. There's an eighty million dollar hole. Why is there an eighty million dollar? You hole? clarify for Kevin that I am not wrong. He's wrong. I don't care. If you're wrong. There's, there's about an eighty. Hey, to, I love you guys, and I love the fact that you have to drive back down to the Capitol together after this. Oh, we, we will. We'll just sit in silence. <laughs> he doesn't know. He doesn't realize he's in my pickup truck, so he's in the back. But, but Kevin, you need a. You know, it'll happen. But the, I don't think it'll happen this year because of the way that we're in. You've got a eighty there's million no money dollar to do hole. It. Hey, can I can I change subject? Heck yeah. So one of the other things that I uh, love doing, but. I think there is so much potential in higher ed in this state to fix things. It is broken, guys. It is broken. I think higher ed's broken. It's got to be legislatively fixed because I'm telling you, it's not working. Go to a tech school, get a degree, get out the door. You can do it two years and have a huge. Literally, within a few years, things could change if we if we if we refocused on technical education, if we incentivize these universities. 
to, to do degrees that relate to Idaho businesses. There's no connection. I think you've got a great, great chance right now. You got a new president at ISU. I love that guy. He's smart. Kevin, Kevin's, a good Kevin's amazing, guy. right? You're going to hopefully have a new president. But why not change some funding formulas for higher ed that focus degrees on Idaho and reward? Why don't we fund based on results with our higher ed and start getting more technical education in the state? They're We're looking losing. at that now. That, so, that bill's down. They're, yeah. they're proposing it. Uh, but, but, it's you know, an outcomes-based funding model that still is not fully cooked. And ultimately you'll get to a place where you incentivize colleges to shift there. Remember, it takes a while to shift a major off of something else. And ultimately you'll get to where there's adaptations, but the, the larger thing is, and that's what we're talking about is, um, you know, two year technical degrees, other options to get people out of college and into the workforce in a much more efficient manner, more hands-on, less just traditional, uh, you know, sitting in a desk, all of that has to happen. You, you think it takes a long time, but I went down and visited Arizona State University for a day, most innovative university in the country, number of students they have. And I, and I sat there with sure. them looking over numbers with them. And I said, how on earth did you do this? And they said it was easy. They told us we had to, to get funding. Changes at your level to the way you fund these universities could change things quickly. And if we don't, you're going to continue to dump money into them and it's not, it's not, it's no, not we're working. We're dumping money into them too. And, the, and a lot of them are declining enrollments. I mean, you've got good ones like CWI, they're growing, yeah. CSI, and, you know, one of the biggest, fastest growing universities, I think, in the nation is BYU, Idaho. I mean, it's happening, but you're right. We can incentivize it with funds. But well, I, which ones are declining in enrollment? Uh, when I was talking to them the other day, asking them why they wanted to go to this formula, I met with some of the, the, uh, presidents and they were saying that some of the universities had declining. Enrollment. Oh, yeah. Of course, sir. Yeah. ISU's declining. But why, but why, why would you? ISU's declining. U of, U of I's declining. BSU's going up. Get, I mean, that's that's the way it is. You, you, CWI's you, going up. And you can go, you know, I, I've told my children they can do whatever they want, but you're better off going and getting to figure out what you want to do and go. You can go up to Lewis and Clark, get a degree and work at the paper mill. They'll pay for your education. You walk out in two years making 75000 a year. There are opportunities here that, that need to be expanded. Is it on your radar, higher ed, though? Oh, yeah. Higher ed, I think, is on the legislature's radar. Okay. Good. I mean, but if you don't have, if your K-12 system, which is, we've been embroiled with since 2010, if that's not plateaued and leveled out, it's really tough to also, I think it's tough for this body, the legislature to shift and look at both at the same time. I do. You would think that we could multitask it, but. Well, part of the problem is structurally with the state board, right? I mean, you look at the state board of education. (laughs) And the way that interacts with the Department of Education, guys, there's fundamental issues that are just you would never, ever run your business or your household like we run education in Idaho. Why don't we ever talk about fixing that? Why don't and, we and look at some of the things in education? The results of lawsuits, the lawsuit in what, the 80s or 70s from Meridian when they were a small district saying, hey, this funding formula is messed up. We are a small district. We should get more money than the big districts. Well, look what happened 40, 50 years later. They're eating it. A lot of it comes from lawsuits. I mean, and that, and that makes it hard, too, when it's driven by the courts, especially on the education side. And some of the mandates that are given to them are federal or or caused by courts. But you're right. I think it could be done. I don't, I, think, I don't think you can blame the courts, though. No, but they I mean, the court's helpful. job is to assess whether or not we're meeting our constitutional obligation. And on multiple occasions, 
the Idaho Supreme Court has basically said Idaho's legislature is not meeting its constitutional obligation to fully fund. So, a Matt, public do you think education. it's fair that one school district's getting you know ten, fourteen thousand a student, and another one's getting five? I mean, what I'm pointing out is, I, I, underst- I understand that there's a discrepancy in how the funding works, and you have to make sure that you're and covering. That's also why I think this big push to move to a enrollment model, a student enrollment model, where the money falls follows a student, is actually the first step. So, so you guys are both for consolidation school district. Absolutely. Matt, if done appropriately, I think that there's a both, way to do and it. you're both for changing it to where the money follows the kids. This, the money's got to follow the students. It does it so now. That makes no sense. I, I think we're, yeah, we're not that far apart. We like to bicker with one another like brothers, but we're really often not that far apart. You always beat up on um, my younger brother and one, you know that. Well, right? yeah, but I'm, I, I'm pretty tough. Anyways, <laughs> um, but you you can want to do all the visionary stuff you're talking about, but if you don't also come at it with the appropriate resources, then it was a neat vision and then it was underfunded and then it fails. Yeah, and but you got to come what, to a what point where Mike you will it. say is, well, they're all taking all this money and they're, they're misusing it and mishandling it, but they can't ever like point to a substantive amount of money that's being mishandled. You know, every once in a while you'll see something pop up, but like. Matt, you know what the problem is? And, and it's easy to say, but it's hard to accomplish. I farm for a living. Commodities are down. So what do you do? You readjust the budget to make it work. You find the things that work and you focus your money there. We don't do that in government. We come back saying, oh, we got to have more to make it work. And generally it happens in a time when we can't afford it. So yeah, except the for other the, issue that's goes back to what we talked true. about earlier, the winners and losers, you end up with the fight and you can't get people to do the right thing. But if we're going to speak about truth, when you talk about hard economic times, we do two pound government. We did from 2007 to 2011. We slashed and, and we slashed. Back. We did a good job. We cut it down. We 25%. cut it down because we nobody felt we, any pain we, hardly at all in this state. And we cut almost 30% out of government. Then, and then we've grown it back to the point we then had. Why no do we have a, from. why do we have a teacher exodus during that time? That was substantial. Nobody Better felt, job somewhere else. Pain. I don't know. You tell me. Nobody felt pain. One would uh, argue that we still do. Um, just to throw a little log on the fire here. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Well, <laughs> look, you guys are, I'm just sitting here uh, listening intently. Uh, the state has a, a, you know, $80 million shortfall, but this is something that we've talked about. And uh, Tommy has talked about this on the air, the purchase of the HP campus. Um, the state went out of its way to buy that. And if the state didn't do that, wouldn't we have a surplus instead of a deficit? And uh, Tommy, you were outbid on that by the state, were you not? <laughs> yeah, you probably were. I was. Same with the Washington building that we, the hospitals have just bought. We, we could have bought that for $20 million. It sold We actually had an offer in on it when they came in and bought it for $40 million more than was. Really? I wouldn't doubt it. So, so how, let's talk about just government spending because I know we – we always talk about taxes and whatever, and, and, you know, you can argue, you know, we're, we're better than some states. And I think Mike and I have talked a lot about changes that we'd make. But, but where do you see inefficiencies in government? And what is the legislature doing to look at those inefficiencies? I, I just ask you a couple. I think of antiquated systems in our state. When I started looking at those, I mean, that's, I mean, they're, they're, people laughed at, at, at the way we run state government. Inefficiencies in scaling things that we do, IT, tech, mm-hmm. different departments having things. Um, ITD, the way they spend money, um, the, the way it's just different than private. You start looking at how we spend our money. And I know just because you have done it like that all the time, there's also got to be some some checks that you put in as our as our elected officials to say, hey, are we spending money efficiently? 
Mike told me to vote for the HP campus. <laughs> hey, listen, the HP campus isn't, I don't think the HP, I'm not going to defend the HP campus any more than I have to. However, indefinite leases for the government to be paying to a private landowner for us to house employees in those buildings, that's not a good use of our money either. It would be better to have all of our services centralized where we're not paying an indefinite lease on a building being spread out. But um, but why wouldn't you just go take the 40 acres where ITD is right now that you already own and, and build some more buildings? Why did you go overpay? You know, we're out of well, you know, it ended up being a, a compromise because this guy wanted to move it all out to old Highway right 16 here. right out here. So right out here where it ought to be central <clears throat> in the valley. It ought to be central in the valley. No, but I guess, which, I, guess, I guess it's just frustrating when government does overspend for something that the private, sure. private industry are like, are really? That thing wasn't worth that. You're singing to the choir. What do you want yeah, me to argue with you? This is me not arguing, the choir. man. Right. <laughs> I think in the end, though, back to the HP thing, it will be better than it not. Be. And, and we're, we're, we're leasing property all over Boise and all over this place. I do have concerns, though. The Department of Administration leases does those leases, and I've seen them pay way more than they had to or needed to. Mm -hmm. It's not done well at all. And it's scary, some of, the, some of the amounts they're paying on leases. And you probably know that. You looked in that when you were running, and I'm – and so I think if it's in the in the end, the HP thing will be a benefit. Um, the, the leases that we've been paying downtown will pay for that building. You're yeah. right. We probably paid too much for it. I don't know the answers to that. You'd know more about that than I. But I think that centralizing those services so people don't have to drive all over, get rid of all those leases that we're paying downtown for some of them are just insanely high, will benefit everybody in the long run. There will be some growing pains. See, that's three things that but, Moyle and I Agree on, but I still three. think we should have built it right over. <laughs> Sixteen needs done. Damn it! <laughs> this time went way too quick. You two, can we this go? I got a bill to do. I, I got a bill to present. So ask him, uh, guys, quickly. Um, Matt, we'll start with you. What inspires you? Who or what inspires you? Uh, I have a fifteen-month-old little girl that is like learning new things every day. She's starting to put together phrases. You know, as a 44-year-old person who never thought he'd be a dad, I think that probably inspires me. Mike? Mine's kind of similar. If you'd have told me how wonderful grandkids were, I'd never believed you. In fact, I now know why you don't kill your children. The grandkids are the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the fact that I want them to grow up in the Idaho that I grew up in. You know, I, when I was younger, I was a hunting guide. I spend as much time as I can in the, in the mountains and playing. The only reason I ever ran for the legislature is I hate taxes. They're too high. We're driving people out of the state with our high tax rates. And I've been blessed to be successful in a lot of that stuff. But, but it all ties back to my grandchildren. I want to be able to experience what I grew up and did. I remember as a kid, we lived over here on North Marine Road, and I remember I was five years old riding my horse down to Eustick, down to Linder, stopped at the river, fished with my friend, and rode the horse the rest of the way out to start. That was a no big deal for a five-year-old in those days. And, I, and I'd want to keep it as close to that today as it used to be. Great. Well, I just want to tell you thanks. I mean, taking one little, putting my toe in the political world and what you guys put up with for, for, uh, for really well-intentioned, uh, folks that just love this place and and love the people of Idaho. Thank you for serving. Yeah, we're blessed to be here, guys. We're blessed. To be we here. are, and, yeah. and but but I I really mean it. Once you get in and see what 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 it's like, thank you very much for the personal sacrifices you put up with that 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 you don't in the private sector to go to go serve and um and God bless you this session and hopefully you guys make good decisions for the people of Idaho. Thank you I very know much, Tommy. That means a lot and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Tommy. And we urge you all to strive for excellence.
You've been listening to the Inspire Excellence Podcast. We invite you to find something that inspires you this week. Join us again for our next episode.